Hello and welcome to the Cycling Science Podcast. I'm your host, Professor Richard Davison, and this is episode number six, where we follow on from our previous episode where I uh, was joined by Dr. Lauren Bannock, and we specifically discussed the translation of research into practice. So in this episode, I'm speaking to uh, a good rider, and it's really trying to uh, get that rider's perspective. So what does cycling science feel like uh, for a rider? You know, so you know what 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 are they typically doing in their training? Um, Where do they get their advice from? And uh, the cyclist that uh, that I've interviewed is a friend of mine, Andy Bruce, who who only took up cycling seriously in in 2011, and has had a f- really phenomenal um, trajectory in terms of improvement. Um, so that uh, last year in 2019, um, he got one of those stripy jerseys that we would all love to have. Um, he became a world masters champion for uh, the points race. So in my discussion with uh, Andy, I talk pretty much about some of the, the detail of his uh, his training, um, which he, he, he initially um, he self-coached. And then just over the last three years, um, he's taken on a coach, and he, he talks about what that's like and, and the benefits of having a coach. And he also goes into um, then how he works with his coach in terms of some of the tools that they have, in terms of obviously they now, he, he now uses power, as do a lot of riders, training peaks. But I think it's also interesting the discussion we have around some of the qualitative aspects of uh, data that he collects and passes on to his coach and is clearly important in terms of how um, his coach interprets um, Andy's adaptation uh, to the training. So really it's a very honest interpretation of I suppose real life as a cyclist who's um, a bright guy, um, obviously a very good cyclist, um, but it, it, it goes into what it's like to have to train hard. We discussed some of the the really topical issues in cycling uh, around um, body weight control and diet and some of Andy's experiences and uh, around that. We also touch a little bit uh, on supplementation because Andy talks about creatine and he, he thought maybe that he might uh, benefit from using it. And then, you know, as I said, he's a smart guy. He went away and did some background research. But of course, that then opens up the, if you like, the can of worms of, as a as a rider, where do you get um, reliable information from? Um, how do you know what you've read online is is high quality, and and therefore is appropriate for you? Um, and and I suppose through the all of this uh, episode, there's some brilliant advice in terms of um, Andy talking through his experiences and how he's managed to um, find his way and find his way particularly uh, as he comments in the end that everybody's an individual and he's found the 
obviously the the secret ingredients, the the pattern of training, the type of training, and the rest and the diet that means that he's um, had such a fantastic, uh, in particular, twenty nineteen. And if you look at the show notes, you'll, I have listed his his Palmares, his list of achievements. Um, you know, since he started to race uh, seriously, um, and say in particular, twenty nineteen is very successful. So I hope you enjoy um, this podcast. It's a little bit different from um, some of the ones that we've done before, um, but I think uh, it, it's an interesting story. It's a journey, um, and I hope you are able to take uh, quite a bit from it. Hi, folks. Um, well, following on from my uh, last podcast with uh, Dr. Uh, Lauren Bannock, um uh, which was around translating of research. Um, I wanted to try and look at this uh, a little bit more differently. I wanted to look at it specifically from from a rider perspective. So today I have with me um, Andy Bruce, who's a, a friend of mine, colleague I go out cycling with. Um, but he's not. That's not usually a, a reason for for getting onto the podcast. You know, he, he is is quite a good rider and has been very successful. Um, and so I wanted to try and uh, look at it from that perspective. Um, you know, what does cycling signs look like for for a rider? Um, so, first of all, welcome, Andy. Thank you. Um, do you want to just give us a little bit of a background of uh, you know uh, your experience as a cyclist in particular? I know obviously you've not been a cyclist for all that long. Mm-hmm. Sure. So. Um it, it all began um, pretty much uh, about 2011 when the company I was working for um, took part in the, the Cycle to Work scheme. Um, so off the back of that, I, I got my first road bike in, in a, a, well, since being a, a wee kid. Um, and subsequently a friend suggested, let's go out with the local club, which was uh, up in Kinross. Um, so I, I took my first steps into riding with a club um, ended up being competitive, uh, getting into their club confined time trials and then just improving from then. And I, I think my, my first proper road race was um, 2012, Gifford Road Race it was, uh, where I remember sign on um, being asked, is this your first time? Yes. Well, there'll be lots of swearing and shouting, just ignore that and keep, your, keep looking forward, don't look backwards. And that was about the only advice that I had. Um, knew nothing about racing, knew nothing about competition, just completely in at the deep end and do as best as I could. Of course, I think we first met, and I think timeline is a little bit before you maybe you did your first race. Uh, I'm not quite sure the exact timing, but I know you know my, I know I go out with uh, Dunfermline Cycling Club and we have a regular Saturday morning ride. And at that time, you know, that I felt that their nine o'clock ride that they used to have was was a little bit too slow. Um, so I used to say to everybody, look, you know, I'm I'm just going to wait behind and get, and give the group a head start and try and catch them up. Um, if there's any mad fools that want to uh, come and join me uh, in that, they're more than welcome to do so. And uh, I remember vividly on one occasion, uh, this uh, rider. Saying, yeah, that's okay. I'll I'll do that, and uh, so you you decided you would come with me, 
Um, and I think it was probably at the cafe stop. Uh, I think there was a little bit of discussion. You, you found it quite hard. <laughs> In my defence, I do remember um, I was on my touring bike that day. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I remember you saying that. And uh, I remember thinking, oh, it'll just be another, uh, another keen cyclist. Um, th- this will be fine. <laughs> and, and yeah, I was not quite ready for the, the, the effort involved. I think I was hanging on for dear life. Um, uh, and then somebody afterwards pointed out that you've, you've uh, done rather a lot of competitive cycling in the past with quite sev- several um, Scottish titles under your belt and so on. So, <laughs> yeah, I was naive. <laughs> I think, as, as you know, we both laugh about it, but it is one of the common things about cycling is, uh, you know, um, sometimes you think you're doing okay until you meet somebody else who, who gives you a hard there's, time. <laughs> there's always there's always somebody faster. Absolutely no doubt about that, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, 2012, you know, your first competitive race. Um, but, you know, and, and uh, you know, we're only at the end of 2019. So that, you know, in, in cycling terms, that's actually a relatively short um, uh, time of experience and so on. But but in that time, you have have managed to progress massively and, and had some huge success. So... You know, maybe you know, it'll be quite nice for the listeners to uh, hear exactly some of your successes. And I think particularly this year has been a really successful year for you. Oh, absolutely. So every year I've been racing has been better than the year before. Um, I remember the first couple of years, I didn't do anything focused. There was nothing specific. I just rode my bike to work and back, um, rode hard, rode long, but there was, there was no science behind it at all. Um, and I think maybe it was around about the third year of racing. Or um, uh, A friend of mine gave me um, Pete Reed's Black Book training manual, um, which I ignored for a year. <laughs> so it was a year after that I decided I really should try and get some structure in. Um, so I think I actually followed that book for two years. So despite the fact that it's, it's old, I think it's from the early 1990s, it, it talks entirely about heart rate, um, Back then, parameters were relatively unheard of or far too expensive. Um, so my training was focused on that. And I saw improvements. Not massive ones, but I, I saw improvements. Um, and then it's in the last few years that um, I started using a parameter, um, started looking at um, things like functional threshold power and the, the joys of 20-minute tests. Um, and then the last couple of years, I... I Finally bit the bullet, um, did what I said I would never do, and that was take on a coach. <laughs> let's just, if I say I can come back to your success, because uh, again, I'm, you know, I obviously I'm aware of it, but it, you know, in my memory, it, it fades a little bit in terms of exactly the timeline uh, in specific, because you know, you you um, your first, I suppose, big success was to win. Um, the Scottish Veterans Road Race Championship, and that was 2016. back in 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, that, you know, from 2011 and 2012, I suppose 2012 you first raced to get to 2016 to be, you know, to, to actually win a championship, you know, that that's quite a, a jump. So then you did that in 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2017. 2017, I missed out by a half a wheel. That's right, yeah. So you're still, <laughs> still right up there. And in the meantime, you had won other races as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I remember I won the, the Ivy Aldians, um <laughs> race two years running 
uh, which I think was 2016 and 2017, um, and, and missed out in 2018. Um, I don't remember why, I don't remember what happened. I think they changed the route, so I'll blame that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, so you, clearly you, you're doing well, and then you start to, oh, I think a friend of yours suggested that, uh, you know, that the track, I think it's one of your clubmates, decided, that said, um, you know, I think, Andy, you, you know, you could be quite good on the track. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I'd i been talked into going to Mallorca for the, the Mallorca Masters, which is October every year. Um, and it's uh, four days, uh, well, it's, it's five days, one individual race and then four um, uh, stage races. Uh, absolutely fantastic atmosphere. It's probably the closest I'll ever get to experiencing the feel of professional racing. Just absolutely brilliant. But it was when I was there um, in 2017, um, a good friend of mine, Jason Roberts, um, asked me, hey, are you doing the Scottish um, track champs uh, in November? And I said to him, look, I have accredited on the track, but I've never raced. The track champs is in four weeks' time. I wouldn't want to get involved in the bunch racing and uh, cause death and destruction. Um, uh, and I don't even have a track bike. Um, and Jason responded, well, you could always do the individual pursuit um, uh, and then that way you're just going to be a danger to yourself. <laughs> so, long story short, four weeks later, I put together a track bike, entered the, the, the um, individual pursuit, and did the heats. Uh, and I was so shocked and amazed that I got to the gold medal ride-off that, at that point, I didn't care. <laughs> I'd, I'd got at least silver. And um, so I was in the ride-off against Jason, um, and uh, still tried my hardest, there's no doubt about that, um, but Jason was definitely the faster man on the day by a good two or three seconds, so he took gold, which I think uh, is, is fair. <laughs> it would be embarrassing if I'd beaten him after he'd suggested it in the first place. Um, so that, that, that was my introduction to track racing, um, and uh, so I started getting involved in the bunch racing, um, and then about this time last year, um, so I, I did the Scottish Champs again in 2018 and this time the roles were reversed. So Jason and I were in the ride-off for gold um, and this time I, I, I beat him um, and, and took the, the, the champion championship. And it was around about that time that somebody had the crazy idea of, hey, why don't we put together a team for the team pursuit at the World Masters? Um, and uh, I... Couldn't quite get why I was involved in this, uh, given my inexperience on the track and and my personal perception, my abilities on the track. Um, but I went along with it, and we, we loosely put together a team. And uh, long again, long story short, um, ended up entering the individual pursuit and the the bond races. Um, so when it came to the World Masters did the individual pursuit with the hope of winning gold, got the gold medal ride-off, um, had a bad ride and got silver. So I was very disappointed. Everyone else was saying congratulations and I'm thinking, no, <laughs> first loser. Um, and then I was doing the bunch races just as a, an aside. You know, I, I was there, might as well do them. And I didn't expect to do anything wonderful. So I did the, the scratch race, uh, and it went better than I expected and I managed to get fifth. 
And I'm sitting there thinking, hang on a second, I've got points race in two days' time. Let's let's actually think about a performance here. Um, and uh, so decided to race it the way I want to race it. Um, rather than reactively, I'll be proactive. So put in some attacks, got some early points, and then recovered. And then another attack and, and um, got some more points. Was joined by my teammate Jason Roberts, which which was nice, um, and uh, a group of three of us took a lap. And uh, at the end of the race, I looked up at the board and saw that I'd won, um, which I was shocked at, but obviously delighted. Um, and the bonus was my my teammate Jason got silver, so the two of us in the top two steps of the the podium in the world champ the world masters championships. Fantastic, so, and of course uh, British champion as well. Yeah, yeah. So um, in between those two episodes was the, the British Masters Championships yeah. in, back in June, yeah. um, and again the, the the goal was the IP, yeah. um, which I, I I did achieve on that occasion, thankfully. Yeah. Um, and the 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 difference was in the bunch racing. Um, I did okay. I did okay, and that's why I didn't expect to do so well at the Worlds. Yeah. Um, you know, to me, it's a step up. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it was fun. So the long and short of it is, you know, now multiple Scottish champion, you've been British champion at uh, IP yep. and uh, and world champion at points, as Correct. well as silver medalist at IP. That's right, yes. Um, yeah. So Don't know how I'm going to not bad. <laughs> not, not bad at all. Oh, and, uh, and off the back of the World Masters champs, uh, I, I got the points to turn elite as well, which is not bad for a guy that's uh, about to turn 49. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Um, you know, you go back, you know, you obviously one of the things that you, in terms of your, the history of, you know, your journey, let's say, um, you know, you said a couple of years ago, you decided to, to take on a coach, which mm-hmm. obviously, you know, I'm, I'm going to say is, you know, uh, as a coach myself is, is a really good thing to do. I think, yes. you know, virtually all the best riders, even some of them who are actual coaches themselves, um, will have a, a personal coach because it makes such a difference in terms of, of planning and so on. So I suppose we're trying to, you know, we know a bit more about you, Andy. We know the success you've had trying to look at now, you know, how does how does cycling science impact on what you do? You talked about moving initially from using sort of Pete Reed's, you know, historic, really historic book on heart rates <laughs> and, and, and moving on to, to using power. And you, you have your coach, Martin Loney. He's done some great stuff himself, mm-hmm. um, but it's obviously done some great stuff with you and helping you to achieve, achieve your, your full potential. So just, you know, what, what type of data do you do you collect for for Martin and and mm-hmm. you know and how do you, the both of you work together to use that data? Yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah, so so, <clears throat> um, I'll, I I let I leave a lot of that down to Martin. He, he's he's the guy that really looks at the data and and decides here's what we need to do, uh, and what what he does is he'll look at you know I, I'll I'll put down in the calendar what races I'm targeting. Um, what what the, the main focuses are, um, and he'll tailor the, the the training schedule according to that. So, for example, um, the the run up to the track, um, that's where the real short but real high intensity stuff starts. Um, maybe about six weeks out, um, the horrible training sessions that you probably wouldn't schedule for yourself because you know how horrible they are, um, and a lot of it focuses on. The, the duration. So, for example, individual pursuit. Um, 
at, at master's level, at, for, for me, it's a three kilometre event. Um, so you're looking at very roughly three and a half minutes. Um, I managed to do a 327 um, uh, down at Manchester. So you're looking at about a three and a half minute effort. Um, so obviously the, the training sessions are tailored towards that. You, you, you forget the, the long duration going out for big long three hour rides or whatever. Um, everything gets done roughly in a 50 minute, 45 minute session where you've got your 50 minute of warm up basically. Um, and then various different styles of high intensity stuff which might be um, three minutes at 180% FTP and then recovery and then repeat until you're, mm. <laughs> until you're goosed. Um, and it's very clear that this is basically designed to tune your body to that interval. Um, the, the other types of, of training setup that Martin has done is he, he'll look at other... So, for example, for road races, he'll look at what, what are the key climbs in this road race that Andy's about to do. Um, how long does that climb typically take? Is it a three-minute climb? Is it a five-minute climb? Um, so again, he'll focus the training on the, the key elements of, of the course for, a, for an important road race um, and, and design the, the training to, to tune the body to handle that particular part of the race. So Andy, um, just I, I suppose what I'm interested in is um, so you, you know you've described you know obviously that uh, Martin uh, has a good look at you know the demands of the event that you're doing whether that's track based or, or, mm -hmm. or road race based and then you know tailors your uh, training around that and, and is that it's all around power so so he's yeah. so you're looking at power. Profiles is is the data uploaded just as a as an interest thing? So is that uploaded to Training Peaks or mm -hmm. yeah. is that some Training Peaks? So they're using some of that analysis around that too. Um, Which on a, on a side note has a an added bonus that you have that this aspect of um, spectator anxiety. So you're um, you know that you've got a session to do. You have to get on the bike and do it, and you know somebody is going to be looking at the data afterwards. So it has added bonus that you will actually try. Whereas, you know, way back when I was coaching myself, um, with an awful lot less level of detail in the analytics, um, you, you sometimes wouldn't do your best because it's just yourself that's looking at it. Whereas when you know mm. a third person is going to sure. be stepping in. Then... I think that is certainly, that is one of the aspects of coaching. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's um, you know, is that, you know, uh, I suppose it's that, I, I suppose it's it's that you know sometimes you know you get riders they'll be riding along uh, a street and be looking in the the shop windows at, you know looking at the format so it's it's kind of that mirror you you know looking at what you do um, but it's an external eye rather than your own yeah. um, I know personally I always use the example it's you know as a, as a coach and a coach educator myself um, you know actually I've had relatively little personal coaching. Uh, in terms of cycling, I was always self, uh, you know, uh, coached myself. Probably not the best thing to do because, you know, I may know all of the right things to do, um, but without that external eye and that external scrutiny, sometimes you're not as, uh, it's not as good. Mm -hmm. And certainly in terms of technique, 
and of course the track, well, you know, there is actually, particularly around bunch racing and stuff, there's a lot of technique and, and understanding the tactics. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, you know, the, 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 the fact that you've been able to particularly win a world championships in one of the more difficult technical, tactical races, as in the points race, is remarkable because that's, you know, many people take a number of years to learn that craft. <laughs> but, you know, again, you've a good coach with track experience who, who who's able to impart, you know, their knowledge and, and give you that assistance. And I'm sure that's been a huge benefit. Oh, definitely. Um, the, the, the other benefit, which um, is, is probably unusual for a, a coach and, and, and an individual competitor is that, that Martin and I have raced in the same races. Um, both on the track and on the road, so um, it. And you've beaten them. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Um, but it, it, um, it. And initially, I was worried about you know how, how do you deal with this when you're you're racing against your coach um, and friend for that matter, um, but that that disappears by by the wayside once the racing gets underway, um, but it does mean that your coach afterwards can point out aspects of your racing that that they just wouldn't see if they weren't there yeah um so it's an added bonus and yeah. it definitely makes a difference yeah. so again coming back to the if you like the science you know you talked a little bit earlier about some of the potential intervals and you know the really short intervals or shorter intervals that were based around uh, the track work and so on and i'm just curious about you know how you perceive um you know that are your own knowledge base or even you know where you where you create your own knowledge base around you you're obviously leaning on martin a bit around this in terms of well you know uh, there's this interval there's that interval there's that rest period uh, how do you know what works you know you know where's the science even that, that underpins why one interval training program might be different than another more helpful yeah, so uh, a, a lot of this, I, I, I wouldn't say I lean on Martin a bit, um, I'd say I lean on him a lot. <laughs> um, and it, it's interesting because there are times, you know, I, I, I have an, aware, an understanding of things like training stress score and, and, and chronic and acute training load. Um, and in, in the run-up to events, you know, I, I, I do look at the numbers and I see how they're, they're, they're fluctuating. Um and sometimes, you know, the week before an important event, uh, and Martin has some stuff scheduled uh, that I still go and do, but I worry sometimes that maybe it's too much. Should I not be tapering a bit more, etc.? And then it comes to, to to the race day itself, and and everything is bang on. And th this this is why, for me at least, it's it's very important to have a coach like Martin because, <laughs> um, you know, I would have backed off more. So, so in days gone by, when I was coaching myself, um, I, I probably would have tapered more, backed off more, and then come race day, wouldn't have performed as well. Um, but I, I think a lot of the um, adaptations that Martin is considering when he's scheduling the, 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 the training programme, um, I... I only have a, a fairly weak understanding of of what how that all works. Uh, I mean, some of it is is uh, is um, fairly obvious. You know, if if you're focusing on 
um, three minute intervals, then your body's going to adapt to, to, to be more improved in, in that respect. Um, so it'll improve your, your, let's say, anaerobic area um, and increase your threshold so that when you come to, to rely on that interval in, in a race environment, then you can perform at that. Um, so it, a lot of it makes sense. Sure. Um, but I, I'm maybe a bit of a layman in that respect uh, and uh, rely heavily on, on Martin's knowledge and expertise. Yeah. So obviously Martin gets to see, you know, he upload all of your actual files. So, you know, Martin sees exactly what you were able to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a little bit uh, curious uh, around some of the more qualitative feedback that you might give Martin in terms of, you know, how did that session go mm-hmm. and so on. So presumably you have some way of mm-hmm. uh, getting that across as well. Do you have a, a scoring system or is it just purely, um, you know, verbal or written feedback that... that that he then can assimilate to help him to, you know, adapt the program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so, Training Peaks has got um, a, a slider scale one to ten for for perceived effort. Um, I, I sometimes wish it was zero to a hundred because sometimes seven doesn't seem to do justice, but eight it wasn't that hard. Um, but anyway, so so I always put in the perceived effort, um, but I also always almost always put in um, a, a note to describe how the session went. You know, if, if it's just a regular, no big deal session, then I won't put very much. You know, if it's, if it's go out in a bun run and eat cake, then I'm not going to give a detailed breakdown of how the session went. But for, for the more focused, specific interval stuff, then I do state how I felt. Um, you know, were my legs feeling tired? Were there any unusual aches? Um, how am I feeling generally? If, if I'm feeling as if I'm run down, etc.? So I give him that feedback and it gives him insight into um, whether he feels he can push me harder or needs to back off. Mm -hmm. Um, And an interesting one was um, last year at one point, um, Martin commented that my um, critical training load uh, had gone over 100. And, you know, I'm I'm kind of doing a shrug, like, is is that good? What does that mean? And he commented that, that... it means that you're able to um, sustain a high load um, well. Um, so so it's a big deal if you get, I think I hit 105 one week. Um, and he commented that, that that's really good. It means you're getting a lot of benefit from the training and you're able to do a lot of training without um, fatiguing excessively so the, the recovery stuff the recovery part of it is is being managed well um so that that, that was um a, a great bit of feedback that helps me to understand what's going on sure. um and also helps me to understand what, what my own abilities are because mm-hmm. you know some folks have the physical capability to sustain very high chronic training load other folks have to back off otherwise they get into the situation where they're overtraining and yeah get negative impact i suppose part of the question i ask is uh, the reason i ask that question is that um you know certainly a lot of the current thinking is this trying to understand you know it's called um external training load and internal training load so so what uh, uh, martin would give you in terms of power and, and duration and so on so that's your external training load but the internal one changes because you know if you do session a um let's say 
on a Tuesday and you were relatively rested on Monday, that, that same session, if you did it, you know, later in the week when you've had a big block of training, if like that internal training load's much higher because your body's not in the same fresh state. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it's, that, you know, while that's, you know, recognised, you know, mm-hmm. you can do various measurements, you know, to, to the, the, you know, the body is, is under a different load and therefore will respond differently. We don't really have much in the way of tools except that qualitative feedback from the rider. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's not, there's not that many physiological markers, for example, that help us with that and to try and understand it. Um, so that you know, it's, it's uh, interesting to hear how you're talking about you know, obviously using perceived exertion and so on to try and help to uh, modulate um, that training and help you know, provide that. So, um, so we've just talked a little bit about you know, in terms of how you can use uh, feedback to potentially uh, modulate training and try and understand the relationship between sort of uh, internal and external training load. Um, I suppose the final thing, you know, is, you know, knowing your background, you know, you come from a technology, you work for Cisco, isn't it? And so, you know, you you do come from a tech background, so you're you're reasonably geeky and into the numbers. I, I'm, I'm just interested to know, and you know, you've admitted that obviously, uh, in terms of how your training is set up, you know, you do lean a lot on your coach Martin to help you to interpret mm-hmm. uh, the numbers. But you know, like a lot of uh, very keen uh, cyclists, you know, you you do try and keep up with, you know, well, what's the latest trends? You know, whether that's the latest power meters or nutrition or whatever and i'm keen to try and understand where um you know riders uh you know access that type of information um you know uh, do you feel that you know it's easy to to get information about the latest stuff you know i think you know most of us all read you know well you know what's Garrett Thomas doing, or mm. what's you know what's the, you know all the latest pros. What are they doing, and you know, does that apply to me? Should I be using that? That's a good question, um, and and I don't have a, a a particularly good answer for that. I, I tend not to pay quite so much attention to to what professionals are doing. Um, it, it would be lovely to have a, a team of experts sitting behind you that look after your training, your nutrition, your warm-up schedule, your cool-down schedule, and post-race and all this kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, for, for, for your average amateur, it's, you know, it's impossible. Um, but, you know, in terms of your diet, so do you use things like, uh, you know, any apps or whatever that, you know, trying to look at what your energy intake yeah. is and, you know, to, I'm just curious. Yeah, so, so there were maybe about two years ago... Um, you know, with 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 sensors like heart rate monitors and power sensors, parameters, um, it's very easy to track your, um, I'll say, approximate calorie output. Um, and what I was curious about a couple of years back was how much am I sticking into my body? Um, I, I I should preface that by saying I I, I have what I would consider a, a healthy diet. So my wife is Spanish, so a lot of the cooking at home is typical Mediterranean-style 
food, so it's, it's you know, um, polyunsaturated fats, olive oil is, is used for cooking, there's there's very little um, saturated fat involved, lots of vegetables, lots of fruit, etc. So, relatively healthy diet. Um, but I was curious how many calories are going in. Um, so I started using a, an app, uh, MyFitnessPal, um, and for the best part of the year, meticulously logged what I was eating. And it, it, two things were very um, stark, very significant. One was, it's incredibly easy to overeat. <laughs> it's surprisingly, or shockingly easy to consume far more calories than you realise you're consuming. Um, so... Uh, Weight control has never really been an issue for me, but when you're wanting to get your weight down um, to what you think of as, as a, a good um, race weight, um, you suddenly see this is why it's difficult. You're either going to be hungry a lot or you're going to be consuming too many calories. So that was the first Can I just, part. Uh, you know, because that's, that's an interesting sort of concept down to the race mm -hmm. that you think that you should be at. Yeah, yeah. How do you decide that? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, because it's one of these things, you know, like, you know, you know I, I'm not a nutritionist, you know, and, um, you know, so I'm not going to delve too much into that area. But, you know, and I, I, I am an anthropometrist, so, you know, I do a lot of body measurement. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, so how do you, you know, how do people decide, you know, what's the uh, correct body weight for them? Yeah, uh, I, I think for me it was... Um a little bit of common sense uh, and a little bit of finger in the air. Um, so I have scales at home that that will give me what what it thinks is my my body fat content. So fair enough, these are going to be pretty inaccurate, um, but it, it's good enough to give you a guide. Um, so I was looking at the the body fat percentage on that, um, and I don't remember what it started off saying, uh, fifteen, sixteen percent. I I don't remember. Um, and so from that, uh, I was guesstimating how much fat I could shed and how much does that equate into weight, etc. And, and I arrived at, at, at what I regarded as a target weight, whether it was realistic or um, overachieving or underachieving in terms of, of, of body weight, I don't know. Um, what I do know is a couple of years ago, I got to about half a kilo below that and had one race in particular where I was climbing phenomenally well. I was delighted myself. Guys that would have been dropping me up this climb, um, I was with them going up the climb. And in terms of perceived effort, I'd say I was probably working about 80%. So I could have pushed harder and I was looking around at their faces and they were, um, they were on the limit. Um, so uh, it, it was probably the best climb that I did. <laughs> um, I've struggled to get back to that that weight since though. Um, but the, the other thing that, that was interesting using this app uh, is it also looks at your macronutrients. And um, it came out and said I was not getting enough iron in my diet, which was, was a bit of a surprise, you know, given what I've just said about uh, having a healthy diet. I assumed that I'd have all the, 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 the nutritional uh, intake that, that I would need. And of course, iron is maybe slightly important for, <laughs> for endurance it is, athletes. Yeah. And just uh, it, correct you there, it's a micronutrient. Sorry, uh, micronutrient. <laughs> sorry, yeah. yeah. Um, exposing my level of knowledge. That's fine, that's all right. No, no you're right, yes. Um, 
so I, I you know, it, it, I wasn't grossly deficient, but it, it was that there were um, more days than not. I was below what it reckoned, what what the app reckoned was was my mm-hmm. recommended daily intake for iron. Um, so uh, off the back of that, I decided to start taking um, you know a one a day um, supplement. Um, whether that's had a, a positive or negative impact, I can't say. Other than um, I, I feel that that um, uh, it, it has been beneficial. So, so th- those were the two um, so, outcomes. So again, it's uh, you know I suppose you've now then you leaning on that app, you know, and I suppose you know I'll put my scientist hat on and go you know, okay, it's got some normative values in there and so on mm-hmm. and everything. Um, you know, does that suit a cyclist and so on? I don't know as well. Are you, I just, this is a, a question. Are, are you aware of the, the concept called REDS, R-E-D-S, which is relative energy deficit in sport? I know you've mentioned that before. So <laughs> no, again, it's, it, well, it's it's yeah, yeah. as it says on the tin. It's it's where you know, and it's not unusual for cyclists. It's where you know they consistently undereat, mm-hmm. um, and it's uh, you know I think there are health consequences. Well, I know there's health consequences. Yeah. There's now you know a number of of research papers that that demonstrate that, mm-hmm. and I think it's always struck me when I've read. Uh, Geraint Thomas's most recent book, you know, when he won the tour, um, you know, when you read that in every chapter, it talks about food. Right. It, it, get, it comes across about, you know, at that level, um, you know, that they're always talking about being hungry. However, mm-hmm. that's because the advantage they do have is um, they have, you know, a full-time nutritionist that's that's prescribing every single meal. Exactly. Uh, nutritionist, they're probably a dietitian, which is... Uh, the next level up. It, it, it's interesting you bring that up um, because, yeah, when during race season I, I, I was aware that I was trying to limit how much I was eating. Um, and, and as you point out, this is based on an app that may or may not be um, sensible. Uh, and then the, there's, there's a friend of mine down south, Sam, um, I've, I've met him a few times racing, and I had no idea. He he, he wrote a, a blog article, um, and I had no idea that he'd gone through a period of um, basically under eating, trying you know, um, trying to get his weight down as low as he could, um, in, in an obsessive way. Um, and in his blog, he was pointing out that he'd finally realised that he, he was actually harming himself more than anything else, um, and he took a big step to. Um, address that and start eating food full stop just eating food um, so stuff that had been completely off the menu cake for example um, suddenly he, he was eating normally let's say uh, and he did comment that as you'd expect he did put on weight but curiously his power went up as well um, so um, I, I don't remember if his power to weight ratio really changed that much but his his um, body weight increased, his power increased. He felt better. He felt more energized because, let's face it, he he was eating more healthily mm-hmm. by virtue of getting enough calories in there. Um, and that that had an impact on me. Um, I I wouldn't say that I was anywhere near uh, his level of obsession of of restricting calories. Definitely not. But. Um, 
I've particularly just now off season etc. I've just I've, I've stopped using the app mm-hmm. um, and enjoy eating. Uh, and yeah, you, you put on a, a few kilos of weight and you're sitting there thinking, oof, you know, uh, that that's going to hurt in the climbs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that cyclists do have a tendency to focus on the, the simple factor of body weight. Mm-hmm. Um, Without looking at it from you know a, a, a zoomed out perspective of, of the, the holistic aspect, yeah. so of, health of, as well as performance. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So again, so you know, I'm, I'm I'm keen on sort of where you know writers like yourself get information. You know, you, you've just mentioned about a blog and so on and everything. Um, you know, so where I suppose I presumably like most of us, you you know, read you know uh, online articles and mm-hmm. so on. Of course, one of the um, issues that that uh, we as sports scientists have is 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 you know how valid is that data or that piece that you read? How well, you know, we we get um, some magazine articles that will even critique or. Summarise, critique's probably too strong a word, summarise a piece of recent research. Um, I'm just curious about how you, you know, interpret those. Are you, you know, how do you, how do you know what's good and, and you know, because we, we all hear about fake news and, and I suppose mm. in some mm. respects this is a little bit like fake news. You know, so how do you interpret as a writer that, um, is that really true? Is, you know, is that something that I should be doing? Yeah, it, it's it's difficult. There's no doubt about it. So, I mean, there's obviously talking to, to your, your cycling peers and buddies. Um, talking to yourself is always really useful, for example. Um, and getting other cyclists' perspectives um, is, is really important, I feel. Um, but when you come to do research, it's difficult because you, you go online and you search for whatever it is you're, you're, you're wanting to look into. So, for example... I remember deciding, okay, um, should I be considering using creatine? Um, and you, you start typing into your search engine, looking it up, and you get lots of conflicting information. You know, you've got your bodybuilders that have got a focus on one side, you've got your endurance athletes that have a different focus, and, um, and, and trying to filter all the information that's available to get down to something that, that is... Um, useful for yourself as an individual I find that very difficult and quite often I'll, I'll find out as much as I can and then come back and, and speak to likes of yourself and ask what do you think about this mm. um, and then you, you do have um, it, you know it's, you, you can go online and, and find um, academic papers um, but they can feel very sterile um, and a bit too so sometimes a bit too theoretical, um, and, and trying to bridge that into the practical aspects mm. is, is again very very yeah. difficult to do. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 not an easy question to to really. And 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 that's a great sort of link back to I suppose where we started, and I was trying mm. to link to the previous podcast where you know I spoke to to Lauren about you know translation uh, of research. I think it's something that many researchers don't do very well. Um, we we fail to actually be able to, um, 
I suppose, assimilate and uh, the knowledge in an, an easy digestible form that, that, that can be used to give practical advice. Because um, I suppose one of my criticisms that I mentioned say, in the last uh, podcast as well is that all too often, you know, your magazines and so on will be, you know, they'll talk about one paper, mm-hmm. you know, and that's just because it happens to be the most recent uh, paper. But, you know, that that's not how science works. Science is, is looking at all of the papers on that area because more than often one paper is looking at such a narrow aspect of any specific question um, and there's lots of caveats with the outcome of that, you know, and assumptions and limitations. And I think that's very difficult for the ordinary person who's not the scientist to understand, well, you know, or the methodology they used is not quite as good as it should be. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's right. But I suppose, you know, you obviously, you, you know, you access a coach to help you with your training. Mm-hmm. Um, you come and ask me questions. Yeah. <laughs> but I suppose, uh, you know, again, just trying to engage with our listeners a little bit, you know, the reality is that, you know, there are there are people out there that have that expertise. So, you know, there, there are nutritionists, there's sports nutritionists out there. So you have that nutrition question, you know. Uh, you know, you can use my fitness pal or any other equivalent app to sort of catalogue what you're eating. You know, a nutritionist would be able to give you that background in terms of your macro and micronutrients, and and you know, is it is it useful for you to then do some supplementation? Um, I can hear Lauren's echoing in the back of my head saying, you know, it's always food first. Mm. Um, so we try not to encourage people to take supplements if you can alter your diet and get all of your micro and micronutrients through dietary you know it's it's much healthier Mm because usually it comes with lots of additional benefits um, by doing it through diet Um, and I suppose it's the same then when it comes to you know other questions about um, you know training uh, approaches or you might even approach a biomechanist around position or, mm-hmm. or somebody who's, who's done that sort of training. So I think it's, I suppose it's about, you know, those people exist. And I think sometimes, you know, lots of riders would benefit from trying to access that. But again, I presume, I know you say you can talk to me, but it's not, I suppose, immediately obvious, is it for you to, if you didn't know me, how you would access some of that? Um, I, I think a lot of it would be online research yeah. um, I mean, obviously talking to, to any of the cycling peers because there have been a few guys that have, have mentioned nutrition to um, and been surprised at, at, at their depth of knowledge so there are cyclists out there that, that know more than you might expect them mm-hmm. to know um, so, so talking to peers is, is important, very important um, but the, the other thing that strikes me though is that um, th- there's definitely no one size fits all um, and one of the issues is that what might be beneficial for me could be actually detrimental for another cyclist. Mm. Um, as as much as we all do the same sport, we all enter the same events and so on, um, there are no two cyclists that are identical. You, you cannot mm. treat them the same whether you're talking about the biomechanics of it, the nutrition of it, or the, the, the physical training. Yeah. Um, people respond differently. Um, and, and that compounds the issue. So you go and do your research online and you find some advice that says, hey, you should be doing this, that and the other. Um, and the question you've got to ask is, well, is, is that going to fit for me? Exactly. Um, yeah. And that's a really difficult one to, to deal with. It is, and I think it's one that's often missed, you know, because quite often a lot of these studies that have been published, you know, they've been done on sports science students, mm-hmm. you know. Um, 
they've not really been done on somebody who's competing at a higher level because quite often that's a hard group to, you know, because, you know, if I came to you, Andy, and said, oh, you know, I quite fancy taking a big bit of your muscle out and do a biopsy, you know, whatever you're going <laughs> to go, eh, I don't think so. Um, I, you know, I quite like to keep all the muscle I've got. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it is about that, um, you know, does it apply to me? And and again, you know, it's one of those things. Just because you can do some of these things, it's should you be doing it? Is that the best for you? And and what you said about the fact that we're all individual is always one of the reasons that I say, you know, cyclists should have an individual coach. Mm. Um, and if uh, they don't do like what you and Martin do in terms of have you know so Martin gives you your training you do you provide him with that feedback in terms of perceived exertion and other qualitative feedback he then knows what to do with that to try and mold it to you mm-hmm. make it unique to you that's vital because that's the bit that individualizes it definitely and it, it, it's it's interesting there's there's one dilemma that uh, I'm having at the moment in fact is is the, the age old debate of in the off season whether or not to, to go to the gym and do weights um, because on the one hand I, I see um, articles that tell you how beneficial it is and how much you can um, improve your strength, improve your strength on the bike uh, you'll be better but then I've also read articles where there, you know, for example there was a guy that uh, went through a very strict weight training regime having done some physiological measurements before and then repeating them after and found that the the, the eight weeks in the gym had negligible if any impact on his cycling um and the 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 problem is you know if, if if time wasn't an issue then yeah why not go and do some training in the gym but if you do training weight training on your muscles then that's a day of training um, which means it's a day of training you can't do on the bike. Um, is it beneficial? Is it detrimental? The, 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 there seem to be both, mm-hmm. you know, arguments for both sides. No, I, and again, I think you know, obviously, um, you know, going back to the beginning and your successes you've had, you know, it's it's important to uh, you know uh, remind ourselves that you know both you and I, <laughs> we're not youngsters anymore, <laughs> um, and and the evidence is quite clear in terms of you know loss of muscle mass mm. that that we have as we get older, but also. You know, there is a risk of uh, reduced bone density. So, um, you know, if we don't, you know, load the bones appropriately. So unless you're doing some running or some, you know, weights is another way of, of, of stressing the bones to try and, and keep them strong. Because, you know, all too often I've seen older riders, you know, inevitably crash sometimes. It, it, it comes with the, with the sport. But as a result of weak bones, you know, you end up fracturing your hip or whatever. So, you know, that, that can be... Uh, difficult so um but it is you know as you say it's quite individual and and to be honest you know uh you know i use weights myself not not a huge amount but i th- yeah for me it's about health you know i want to be healthy i want to have strong mm-hmm. bones and so on um i want to try and keep as much of muscle as i can um <clears throat> the, the you know my view the research evidence um is equivocal it's not it's not immediately obvious and despite there are um, researchers out there who are absolutely adamant and do have some data that seems to point in that direction um, but my view of an overall looking at the 
the data it, it's certainly not obvious and it may be quite individual mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah. um uh, I think that's the uh, the key message is that you know we are all different um, and we all need different uh, training stimulus to, to make us as good as we can be and it depends on your event as well you know yes. if you're somebody who does you know I was quite good at 12 hour events so the the forces that are required to push out in the pedals for, for riding for 12 hours constantly are nothing compared to Track, track sprinter, track sprinter. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's completely different. So, uh, therefore, the the demands and uh, the, therefore the uh, training required is, is is very different. Andy, uh, thank you very much for your time. Um, I, I hope the, I'm sure the listeners will have had, you know, it's an interesting insight to to what it's like to say from a rider's point of view. Um, we will try and get Martin. Uh, for an interview as well because I would like to join up the dots a little bit around you know what it's like from, from the coach's perspective as well as the rider's perspective and how cycling science can help to uh, enhance uh, enhance performance so we wish you the very best for, very for 2020 mm -hmm. um, the trajectory has been very consistent so far so what the, you know there will be some big uh, I'm sure uh, aims for for next year, mm -hmm. and uh, I say we wish you all the best. Well, I think strangely, next year is is the toughest year. It's the year after I'm looking forward to when I move up a category to the fifty plus group. <laughs> so, so 2020 will be tough. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Of course, that's it. You come to the, the end of a, a category, it's, you get a lot of youngsters coming in. It, it does make it tough, doesn't it? It um, does. Yeah. Of course, they, you know people imagine once they trip over the the 50 mark that it'll all be, you know, or the next category, it's all easy again. But the reality is you're probably racing against the same guys you've been racing yeah. against for the last five <laughs> years anyway. So it, it, it's, it's not that much easier. Yep. So thanks a lot, Andy. Okay, you're welcome. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed um, episode six, um, Andy's story, um, and, you know, what it's like uh, in terms of, uh, being a cyclist, uh, trying to be as successful as you possibly can, and at the same time trying to uh, make sense of the cycling science that's out there, and uh, and and I suppose the final piece of advice that I would give, um, which uh, is evident in Andy's story, is how important a good coach can be to. Uh, certainly certainly help you towards being a more successful cyclist.